This is Queen Victoria. Welcome to Murder Lab, the podcast where I don't just discuss one serial killer. I discuss several serial killers and something they have in common. As always, I'd like to thank Igor, my socially distant assistant and immoral support, for everything, for assistance with research and doing her own episodes. If you haven't checked them out, make sure that you listen to them. She's done one on the Thuggy Cult. We did one together. The last episode was one with uh, her and I on it together. And another one with just her is coming up next Monday, where she discusses some unexplained happenings. <laughs> Make sure you stay tuned for that. Also, keep your eye out on the website, murderlabmedia.com, the Facebook and Instagram pages for merch updates and such. Speaking of merch updates, we will soon have a keychain to offer. I keep saying I'll be posting pictures and stuff about merchandise, and then I keep failing to do so. But I promise that I will get merchandise information up. I figure it's going to be hard to really get them to you until we can start seeing each other. So don't worry. Since it's getting warmer out, I'm going to start planning some little uh, occasions where maybe I'll say, hey, I'm at this park today. Swing by if you want to get some Murder Lab merch, talk about some serial killers, or probably have some other friends of mine and their wares. Maybe we'll play some games. We don't know. It might get crazy. Keep an eye out for upcoming events. And as always, make sure to share. Share, share, share to show you care. Today's episode is about serial killers that killed for decades. I was going to do one big episode where there's uh, like 26 serial killers named. But that's a lot for all of us. So I'm going to split it into two episodes. So I will be covering briefly 13 serial killers. And then in the next official Murder Lab episode, I will cover another 13. And that's not still not an exhaustive thing. That's just still, it's a lot of them, but not all of them. So that will be something I will cover more of in the future. I will be discussing basic details about each one and then of course I will get into more details as we get into different episodes and and different things that they've been involved with so you will you've not heard the last of these I made sure to include ones that maybe you've never heard of there's some some that I had never heard of and then there's some that we all know so there is a nice mixture I'm doing it chronologically. I'm going to go through them. And then at the end, I will discuss things they have in common and how they overlapped and things like that. The first serial killer I'm going to cover is Francisco Guerrero Perez. His time period was between 1880 to 1908. He was in Mexico. He was the first recorded serial killer in Mexican history. Now, that does not mean that he was the first serial killer in Mexico, but it means that he was the first documented one. He had 20 victims that were primarily female sex workers. If you notice the time period that I mentioned, he was active at the same time as Jack the Ripper. And you'll also notice that, like Jack the Ripper, he killed sex sex workers. He also mutilated them. Perez grew up in poverty. His mom abused him and his father was absent. He was a shoemaker. And if that lit your brain up, that means that you remember Callinger. Joseph Callinger was also a shoemaker serial killer. He was handsome an elegant dresser, known for fits of anger, but being charismatic. His murders involved hatred and showed extreme cruelty and sexual mutilation. He decapitated some of them. He felt superior to them, and most of the victims were sex workers, and he killed them because they were vulnerable. Not necessarily because he thought they were sinners, it was just because they were easier targets. He threw them in the Consolado River. It was said that the sex workers in the area knew about him, but they were afraid to accuse him in case they got punished 
or being sex workers. It is rumored that a neighbor turned him in. He was caught in a tavern in 1888 and sentenced to death. However, in 1904, he was freed. His file was misplaced into a pile of political prisoners who are granted forgiveness. So it's almost like an idiocracy moment when he just goes up to the guard and said, well, I'm supposed to be let out today. And the guard's like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to go out. So they just like let him out. In 1908, they found a body of an old woman in the same river with the same marks and cause of death as his other victims. He was finally arrested and was supposed to get the death penalty, but he wound up dying at 70 years old. Some of his nicknames were the Mexican Bluebeard, and if you'll remember, Bluebeards were known for killing, usually it was like killing their wives, but it could also be for killing women. The Consolado River Strangler, the Consolado River Ripper, the Mexican Ripper, or El Chalequero. The theories on the nickname El Chalequero is the word for vest was chalequero, so it was thought since he wore vests, they called him chalequero. Another theory is that it alludes to the Spanish expression apuro chaleco, which means that he made a sexual victim of any woman that he felt attracted to, whether they liked him or not. A similar theory is that a chaleco means by force. So it's basically saying the same thing, just slightly different terms. Apparently, the term also relates to psychiatric straitjackets. How did he get away for so long? As I said, people were afraid to talk. So the reason he stopped killing was actually because he was in prison from 1888 to 1904. So he was in prison for like 16 years. And that's why he wasn't killing. But you'll notice as soon as he got out, he killed someone. So that's interesting that he was actually in prison for a while. Well, the next one was truly active for about 27 years. Asgar Borogerdi, from 1907 to 1934, he was Iranian. He had 33 victims that were all adolescent boys. He was a pedophile. He killed in Iraq, Iran, Tehran, and Baghdad. His dad was a bandit. Borogerdi's first arrest was at age 14. The way he would lure his victims was he, would, he sold treats and he would use that as bait and offer candy to the children, and then he would assault, rape, and mutilate them. Now, this is kind of similar to the serial killer known as the Candyman, Dean Coral. His mom owned a candy factory, and he was friendly with children. He would give them candy and stuff like that. The victims were found in furnaces and aqueducts. When he was finally caught, he was hanged. He was known as Asgar the Murderer. How did he get away with it for so long? He did it in four different countries. So he truly was active for about 27 years with that before he got caught. Next up, we have Vasil Tekasiak from 1917 to 1935, which is an 18-year time period in Romania. Six bodies were found, but there's possibly 21 to 26 victims. There's actually not much information on the victims. I looked in several places, couldn't find <laughs> any information. He had a special axe made for his murderin. It was designed not to slip out of his hand. So I'm not sure exactly what that, this means. The first thing I think of, because I'm a musician, is I think of guitar picks. So there are different ways for designs for guitar picks not to slip out of your hand. You can, they're like ridges, or sometimes they have holes, or they have something called like cat tongue, where it's like this uh, tacky, almost, I don't know if uh, sandpaper is the right word, but it has a different feel. So there are different ways, so I don't know if what exactly that entailed. A little known, little is known of his childhood. He was in custody for burglary and robbery when a, a dog sniffing around led to the discovery of bodies under his home. There were six bodies found. 
This reminds me of the Sonny Bean tale, which if you have not caught the Sonny Bean episode, make sure you listen to it. Basically, I'm I'm not 100% sure that Sonny Bean was real, but whether he is or not, according to the legend or the information, a dog actually found the cave in which Sonny Bean was hiding. He confessed to 26 murders. His murders were primarily for financial gain, so he would kill them and rob them. Once he was in custody, he offered to reconstruct the crimes, so he was taken out of jail. Well, then he tries to run, so they shot him and killed him. His nicknames were the Butcher of Yaosh and the Bussarabian. Both of those names refer to areas where he was located. Because I admit, like when I first saw Bussarabian, I was like, are they misspelling barbarian? Because you never know when you're looking up different different things online, what they're going to say or misspell, and you'd be surprised. But so I looked it up just to make sure, because in my face, it actually refers to a place in Romania. I don't know how we got away, got away for so long. I looked in several places, could not find much information at all. If he did kill 26 people, I don't know how he was able to get away for it for, it for so long, other than he was just really good at hiding shit. Glennon Engelman from 1950 to 1980 had a 30-year crime span in America, in Missouri. He had seven victims. He was a hitman, which is similar to the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. Now, some people don't consider hitmen serial killers, so it depends on how you look at things. The main reason to count Engelman and Kuklinski is because they liked it, <laughs> and so they, they had more of a serial killer mentality. In 1958, he killed his ex-wife's husband for the $64,000 life insurance policy, which she shared with him. In 1963, he struck his business partner with a rock, pushed him in a well, then blew up the well with dynamite. He shared the life insurance with the widow. 1976, his former dental assistant trainee ordered a hit on her husband, so he shot him in the back and then shared the $60,000 policy with her. In 1977... A man was shot, his wife was bashed, and then 17 months later, their son was murdered. He was the sole heir to their oil business. His wife collected $340,000. Turns out she was an old friend of Glenn's. She was convicted of the murder of her husband, but was acquitted of her in-law's murder. She was released in 2009. The owner of a dental lab was killed in a car bomb explosion. It turns out... Engelman owed her $14,000. When he would send things to her dental lab, he kept fucking up measurements and shit like that. So she was going to start charging him more for the work because he kept changing what she had to do and costing her ex extra material and he wasn't paying her. So she threatened to sue him. So he decided to blow up her car with her in it, of course, as you would. For one of the murders, some guy confessed to one. And then later, it turns out he admitted that he was bribed and they could prove that Engelman did it. The widow of his first victim was nervous that he'd kill her, so she told on him and then got wired, and the cops used her to get to him. So she got him to talk, and he was imprisoned for the murder of the, the couple with the oil business and the son. He got life. He wound up dying in 1990, 1999. He was known as the killing dentist. How did he get away for, with it for so long? There wasn't really enough evidence to tie him to things. He tended to have alibis. And there were other car bombings in that same time period that were mafia related. So that kind of 
you know, muddled up the investigation and pointing things to him. I do have a quick side note. If you listened to the last episode where Igor and I were talking about how a man possibly killed his wife and we weren't sure if he would kill if he would be willing to kill her over like, I think it was like a $50,000 life insurance policy. And people were like, well, that's not really enough. And that was in 1990. And we determined that would be like $100,000 in today's money. Well, if you notice these numbers, 1958, a wife killed her husband for 64000 And then 1976, it was killed for 60000 So really, those are kind of low numbers. But that just proves that people might be willing to kill for for like sixty or sixty-four thousand or fifty thousand dollars, because that's still still a decent chunk of money. If you think it's worth it to kill someone for it, you know. I mean, <laughs> it depends on your standards, I guess. I watched an interesting documentary about Glennon Engelman because I had never heard of him before. So when I saw the documentary, it was it was it was well done. It was interesting. I'll I'll post that in my references page as always. Wacky McCroll, nineteen fifty-five to nineteen seventy-six, twenty year twenty-one year time span. In Germany, he was charged with eight murders, but he had possibly 14 victims. They were ages 4 to 61, which that's quite a span. Normally, a demographic within the same age range. Not always, but it is always interesting to see a huge span of ages. It was mostly female victims. His father was a POW that was killed. He lived on a farm. This is similar to serial killers like Rainfay Copeland, Robert Picton, and Gordon Stewart Northcott. All those people owned farms. He had the mentality of a young boy. He had a 76 IQ. He was popular with kids and always had toys and candy. And he was known as Uncle Joaquin. Again, this is like reminds me of Dean Coral and, and his like Boro Jarity that I just mentioned. People didn't know until later, but apparently he enjoyed strangling sex dolls while masturbating, which that's not necessarily a big deal. But when you see what he ends up doing, it, it takes on a nefarious bent. He started to kill after his mom died. He was very particular about where and when. And he would do it in the same place, but years apart. Now, this reminds me of Ed Gein, who started to kill after his mother died. Now, he, again, technically is not a serial killer because he only technically, they could prove he killed two people. It is surmised that he killed his brother before his mother died, but we're not 100% sure. So, technically, he started the MO of killing women after his mom died. There were a number of murderers in that area at the time. What he would do is surprise the kid or the person, strangle them, take off their clothes have sex with their body, masturbate over them, mutilate them, cut off pieces to eat later, and then when he got home, he would have sex with a rubber doll. So that is, uh, that is a lot. Well, that's a lot, but that's also a lot of sex. And that's sex with a body and then masturbating afterwards and then going home and having sex. So this obviously was a very sexual thing for him. The part of cutting off pieces to eat later is reminiscent of Albert Fish. Because he would do several things. And, and actually, I believe it said that Kroll would, um, would cut off their buttocks. And that's uh, Fish noted in one of his letters that the buttocks were the best meat. In reference to the low IQ, he actually told a neighbor not to use the shared toilet because it's, quote, full of guts. The neighbor figured he meant, like, oh, it was probably, like, remains from meat butchering. So he called a plumber. Well, the plumber realized those are human organs, and it was discovered those were kids' organs. If you know or don't know, Dennis Nilsson was also caught for having human remains in a drain. When they searched his apartment, they found parts of, gr parts of a girl in the fridge— a hand on the stove in a pot cooking, and entrails in his waist in the waste pipe. Again, reminiscent of other serial killers, the hand in the pot cooking reminds me of Heidnick, Gary Heidnick. 
he when he was caught, there was a head in a pot boiling on the stove. And then we all know Dahmer. He claimed that he was a cannibal to help keep his grocery bills down. So he was practical. But again, with this low IQ is he thought that they would operate on him so he wouldn't kill anymore. And then he'd be released. He ended up getting life and had a heart attack. Some of his nicknames were the Rur, R-U-H-R, Rur Cannibal, the Rur Hunter, and the Duisburg Maneater. How did he get away for so long? People thought he was innocent and sweet because with his low IQ and he was good with kids, they didn't see any reason to think that he was going to harm anyone. And then again, there were a number of other murderers, so it was easy easier to get lost in the shuffle of, of everything happening. I'm going to do a side note real fast. There is a series of books called The World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Susan Hall, and they just came out within the past like year or two. If it hasn't just come out, then it's coming out soon. So there's four volumes. I was excited when I first got it because she does mention more recent serial killers. So that's what's a good thing about her it coming out so recently. She can cover more. So she mentions quite a few serial killers that I were not on my radar at all. And I have a spreadsheet. So <laughs> I have a big list. She's helped me add to them. The thing that makes me crazy about her books is that she doesn't do it alphabetically by their last name. She does it by their nickname. Now, I know some stuff about serial killers so I know quite a few nicknames, but I don't know all of them. And some of them have several. So if I want to look up Joaquin Kroll, I can't just go to K and know that I'll find him in that book. He's not in the E through L volume. He's in the M through S volume for the Rur Cannibal. I had no idea at this point that his nickname was Rur Cannibal. So if you look in E through L, it will say in the index, it'll say Kroll, and then it'll say C book three. And that kind of pisses me off because I just want to pick up the damn book that he's supposed to be in and look at it. And thankfully, I haven't, it hasn't happened yet. But I'm waiting for the time before I get the fourth volume that a book's like that one of the books says see volume four. And I don't have fucking volume four yet. She has some good information. Like I said, I like that she's very inclusive and has has a good variety. But it pisses me off to no end that she had to alphabetize them by their nicknames. It just infuriates me. Don't worry. That's not the last you'll hear of that. Next up is Pedro Rodriguez Filho from 1967 to 2003, which is a 36-year time span. He's from Brazil. I had trouble keeping track of how many victims he had. He had several victims. Then he killed 47 people while he was in jail. Most of it seems to be like he killed 71 to over 100 people. So I don't really know how many he killed. I know that he killed 47 people in jail. That's what I know. So I'm going to take you through it and you'll see what, what I'm dealing with here. He's known as the real-life Dexter because he killed other criminals. Most of them were inside the prisons, as I said. At age 14, he shot the deputy mayor because he fired his father, who was accused of stealing food. Now, he knew his father didn't do it, so he shot the deputy mayor, and then he found the real thief and killed him. He began to rob drug dens and kill traffickers. And then he decided to set up his own drug business. Another serial killer that was involved with drug dealers is Adolfo Constanzo. Philho's pregnant girlfriend was killed. He tortured and killed several people to try to find out who was responsible. It turns out it was a rival gang leader. So he went to a wedding that the gang leader was at, brought four friends, left seven people dead and 16 wounded. And he was 17 years old. And I imagine I'm not the only one who immediately thought of uh, Kill Bill with the wedding scene. He killed his dad while his dad was in jail <laughs> because his dad killed his mom with 21 machete blows. In retribution, he stabbed his dad 22 times, ripped out his heart, chewed up a part of it, 
and spat it out. Although I did see some people say that he ate it so they qualify him as a cannibal, but I'm not 100% sure if he ate it or not. The point is we know that he ripped out his heart. So there you go. He was arrested in 1973 and was in prison most of his adult life. In 2003, he was convicted of killing 70 people. Well, there you go. Apparently, we know he killed 70. He had an arm tattoo that says, I kill for pleasure. Another serial killer known for uh, a tattoo? Richard Speck had one that said, born to raise hell. He was supposed to do like 128 years time or something like that. But in Brazil, the maximum amount you can spend is 30 years. Although while he was in prison, he killed more people. So they extended it to 34 years and he was released in 2007. In 2011, he was arrested for false imprisonment and rioting. He served eight years. He was released around 2018, and now he has a YouTube channel to talk about his his experience. I looked it up. I will post the YouTube channel and the references. It was hard to find him because I was looking up Pedro Filho, Pedro Rodriguez Filho. Nothing was coming up. His nickname, Pedrino Matador, which is either Killer PD or Little Peter the Killer. So I looked up Padrino Filho and I found him. He goes under Padrino Ex Matador Com Jesus. Basically, ex killer PD with Jesus. He has been saved. And his YouTube channel, I looked at like the, the first video was a minute of him being excited about a big fish he caught. And it was interesting because it was filmed sideways. <laughs> and the next video I clicked on was him getting saved. He was um, getting baptized in a river. It's in Portuguese, so I wouldn't know what he was saying anyway. But it was very obvious from the footage. And obviously it's with Jesus. So he's been saved. And Igor did did find information that now he talks about trying to discourage people from murder and stuff like that. So it does seem like he's trying to repent for the things that he did. How did he get away with it for so long? Well, he did a lot of them in prison, so he didn't really get away with it. Oh, I guess he kind of did, because if you're already in prison and you can only serve like 30 years, then why not? Not the best deterrent. This serial killer just came to light recently. Samuel Little. He was active from 1970 to 2005, which is 35 years. He's American. He was convicted of four. He claimed he killed 93, and he has been officially linked to 50 or 60 murders. That makes him the most prolific serial killer in United States history. The ages of his victims were 18 to 55, which is, again, that's kind of a a wide, wider range than you would expect. He killed sex workers, drug addicts, basically like any women on the fringes of society. They were mostly dark skinned, but there were some white women. He killed in 19 states over a third of a century. He was a former boxer and he would punch his victim to knock them out before he strangled them. Since he would strangle them, and they were known to be drug addicts or or sex workers, the deaths were often labeled accidents or overdoses. When he was younger, he lived in Lorain, Ohio. He said his mom was a sex worker, and he grew up with his grandma. I believe that the FBI surmised that his mom had him when when she was in jail. He got in trouble for breaking and entering in high school. In 1961, he was arrested for breaking and entering. He left Ohio in 1964 when he got out of prison. He roamed around, robbed, and thieved in 11 states, including assault, attempted rape, and fraud. He was acquitted twice of murder in 1982, and one was a sex worker. He was guilty in 1984 and was arrested for beating up two sex workers. He was released in 1987. He committed two murders in 1987 and one in 1989, but was not charged for them until 2013. Finally, what got him arrested was a narcotics charge. And at that point, they collected his DNA 
And that is how he was connected to murders and the murders, specifically those three murders in the 80s. So between the DNA and then witnesses, he was found guilty and got life in California. He had pled innocent, but he decided he wanted to move to a different prison. So he confessed. He was able to provide sketches and information. Now, the problem is he was able to give pretty specific information in some cases, but his memory wasn't that great. I mean, he's an older dude. I think he was like 80 when he died. So (laughs) he's an older dude. And then, you know, when you kill like 90 people, it's hard to remember all the details. So some of the details were kind of jumbled up, but they were able to like right off the bat, they could confirm 34 in 2018. He was charged for 12. And then I believe that he wound up being there able to now link him to 50 or 60 murders. He was a busy boy. There is a website that you can go to and I can and I will post it in my references where it shows the drawings of the victims and a clip of him describing it because they're hoping that if people look at it, they'll be able to tell from the drawings and the description that that may help them close some cold cases. So certainly look at that. I don't know that there's the it's likely you'll recognize them, but you never know or have a family member that knows. So check it out. See if maybe you can help out some. He ended up dying in December of 2020. He had a bunch of conditions like diabetes and heart conditions and stuff, so it appears to be of natural causes. His real name was Samuel McDowell. The LAPD gave him the nickname The Choke and Stroke Killer since he often masturbated while strangling his victims. How did he get away from so long? Well, one was the choice of victim. So if you tend to choose sex workers and drug addicts, unfortunately, they're not as easily tracked or they're lower priority, unfortunately. And then also he traveled around to like 19 fucking states. And a lot of this time period, I mean, he started in 1970, quite a bit of the time period, there wasn't really any advanced forensics. So I'm sure that worked in his favor as well. I know you've heard of the next one. Dennis Rader. He started in 1974 and was not caught until till 2005, which is 30 years. He actually stopped killing in 1991, so he was technically only killing for 17 years, and then he remained free for, I can't do math, for 13 years after that. It is interesting that he actually stopped killing for a while. He was an American in Kansas. He had 10 victims, ages 9 through 62, where we see that interesting age range. He uh, strangled with ligature. He... Hanged some, he stabbed some. He worked in security for ADT. He was also a dog catcher and was known for being overly strict. So that's an interesting thing to note. He always gravitated to positions that have at least a little bit of power, and he would use every bit of power that he could. (laughs) I'll note that he did not break into any homes or take advantage of the ADT security as far as I can remember. I don't remember seeing anything where he actually killed someone in the house where he put security in, which is is weird because you would think. But maybe... That's part of the reason he got away for so long is because he was smart enough to know better. It would be tempting, but it might also end up being obvious. He had a good reputation as a family man. He was a Cub Scout leader, and he was religious. His first murder was actually a family. So he killed a family, and it was uh, a man, a woman, and their children. So that's, that's part of the reason the age range is so wide. Then he stabbed a girl to death. Her brother was there. He shot the brother, but the brother lived. Then he did a home invasion where he bound a woman and strangled her. He called the cops on one of them because they hadn't found the body, and he was excited to see them that they found the body. One body was dumped away from her home. Another victim was killed in her home. Then there was another victim who he kidnapped her from her home and dumped her elsewhere. He started to write letters to the media with details of the 
murders. And he would include poems, terrible poems. As you know, like the Zodiac and Jack the Ripper were also known to write to the media. So that is not an uncommon serial killer thing. One of his victims... He was laying in wait for her. She didn't come home, so he took some stuff. He sent her a poem and details of what he would have done to her had she come home. So she wound up moving, like, far far fucking away. <laughs> like, I don't blame her. She was so freaked out that she's like, I, I can't stay in the state. I can't imagine. He sent more letters. They Some would have crime scene photos that he had taken. He sent a driver's license from one of the victims to prove that he was serious. And he would sign the letters, Bill Thomas Kilman, BTK. So that was one of the first references to BTK. You should listen to the last podcast on the left episodes where they're talking about the BTK because he's just, I mean, it's bad enough that he's a serial killer, but he's just so fucking hokey. And with his crappy poems and then Bill Thomas Kilman, I don't know. It's just fucking annoying. One of the things he would do is he would cut their phone line. After several victims had their phone lines cut and then a home invasion, the police were urging people to make sure before they go in the house that their phones weren't cut. If there's a way that they could look, that if they got inside and they saw that their phones were cut, that they should check it and then get out of the house right away if they saw that. I don't know that that actually saved anyone or not, but it's an an interesting thing to note and it is a smart thing to watch out for. Of course, now we don't really have to worry about that. He would masturbate over the bodies. He took his son to a scout camp, snuck away, killed a woman, took her dead body to his church, and took pictures of her in the church. And then he took her and dumped her somewhere. Those of you uh, Dexter fans might remember that he took his stepson on a camping trip snuck away and killed someone. So that is very Raider-like. He did like to take pictures of his victims, which is similar to Jerry Brudos, another serial killer. He went on another camp outing, killed someone, dumped their body, and then went back to the camp. Then he came back days later to the where he buried, put the body, and then he had to take some pictures. He had stopped killing, and it kind of moved on with his life, I guess, until 2004, an article in the paper came out that said they thought the BTK killer was dead or in prison or in some kind of facility. And he got pissed off because he liked to get attention. He wanted people to know that he was alive and he was still out there. So he started sending letters again and more evidence. What finally got him caught is that the cops decided it would be smart to, since he liked attention and he was con- trying to contact him through newspapers and stuff, they put out a thing that said, hey, if you want to talk to us, respond to this ad. And he responded to the ad and he would say, if I send you a computer disc, will you be able to track me with it? And they lied and said, oh, no, we can't track you with it. And he believed them. So he sent them a computer disk and they were able to look at the under whatever properties or whatever. And they saw the name. I can't remember if they just saw the name Dennis or Raider, but they were able to track it back, track it to his church. And they found him through his church and through this disk. So that's how he was caught. He got life sentence. He was known as the BTK killer, the BTK strangler, which is bind, torture, kill, because that was him, his MO. How did he get away with it for so long? Well, he had a good reputation. He was very careful. And there really wasn't enough to connect him to any of the murders until later on. Now we're into 1975 to 1998 with Robert Lee Yates, which is 23-year span. He was actually finally arrested in 2000. He's an American who killed in, who was in Washington. He was convicted on 15 counts of murder, but he possibly killed 16 to over 18 people. His victims were ages 16 to 60, 60. So again, we have a kind of wide span. He focused on skid row sex workers. He would shoot them in the head. He was actually a prison guard for a while. 
And he was in the army for 19 years and got many medals and awards. He would dump the bodies in rural areas, although one victim he buried outside his bedroom window, which immediately made me think of Edmund Kemper, who buried one of his victim's heads in the yard facing his mom's window. He didn't like his mom. There were witnesses that saw the same car picking up the victims, a 1977 white Corvette, which was not a common car at the, in that area at that time, so it was connected to him. They found blood in the car that matched one of the victims, and then they were able to match his DNA to 12 victims. He got a death sentence, but it was commuted to life. He was called the Spokane Serial Killer. How did he get away for so long? Well, again, it was a his choice of victim were sex workers, which, as I said before, unfortunately, they're just lower priority. And then plus, he obviously had a good reputation because he won all those fucking awards and shit. We have Mikhail Novosoyolov, 1977 to 1995, which is an 18-year span. He was Russian. He had 22 vics to 28 vic- victims, ages 6 to 50. Yeah, I don't know the demographic. I, it was hard to find whether it was all women or if it, there were men in there. I, I don't know the anything other than they were ages 6 to 50. He was apparently a necrophiliac and pedophile. Well, there you go. I guess some of the demographic was obviously ages 6 to 50, so there was apparently a sexual component to some of them. He did all, was also in trouble for the attempted rape of minors. He would dress as officials in different positions, so that's part of how he would gain trust. Which that's another thing that's not unusual with some serial killers is like David Parker Ray. Technically not a serial killer because we don't know that he killed anyone. But he would dress up and as a, he worked for a parks department and he would dress in official uniforms and gain women's trust that way. Some people would pretend to be cops like the Hillside Stranglers, Bono and Bianchi. They would flash a fake badge. So it's not unusual for serial killers to do that. He would offer them gum. And then he would kill them with a blow to the head with a heavy object and then also choke them during sex acts. So this is similar to other serial killers I've mentioned this episode, Borogerdi and Kroll. He killed in different cities and the cr- crimes were not connected. He also had three passports and di- uh, with three different names. He was finally caught stealing an air rifle and he confessed to six murders. He was found insane and sent to a hospital. So that's interesting to note. There really aren't any many serial killers that are found insane, except Ed Gein, which again, not necessarily a serial killer, but there aren't many others that, that, that has worked for them. He was known as the Necrophile Rebel. How did he get away with it for so long? The different cities and different names certainly helped him get by for 18 years. Another name you'll recognize is Gary Ridgway, 1982 to 2001, 19-year time span. He actually stopped killing in 1998. He killed for 19 years and stopped and then he wasn't caught for another 16 years. He was an American in Washington. He had 49 or more Vicks, possibly 71 or more. The age range was 12 to 38. He targeted female sex workers and runaways. He worked in a truck factory as a spray painter. He was also a religious man. Though he did like to go to sex workers, he had a high sex drive and he would insist his wife have sex with him several times a day. Now, his religion did conflict with his desire to have sex with sex workers. So that might be part of what fueled him to start killing them. What he would do to gain their trust is he would show a picture of his son or he would have some of his son's toys in the car and that would put them at ease. And then he'd rape or strangle them. He had a truck that he would use 
or he would bring them to his home or find a secluded area. Most of the victims were killed between like 1982 and 1984, then in 1986 and 87. Then he killed someone in 90 and then later he actually killed someone in 1998. So it was kind of spread out there. He killed only three times after he married his third wife. So that's interesting is part of the reason he slowed down and stopped his killing spree is because he got so caught up in things with his wife. He, I believe he liked to go to antiques places and they collected antique furniture and shit. And I think they just had like their house was like full of shit, but that's what they liked doing together. And so she actually helped him curb his appetite to kill. It's very interesting that he actually was able to stop and move forward with his life focusing on other things. He would dump bodies in different counties to confuse the cops. He would also add things that belonged to other people to the scene, like cigarette butts and letters from other people, like trash, basically. He would throw that in there. And then the problem is, is cops don't know what matters and what doesn't. So they would have to catalog it. And again, that would make it confusing and time consuming. He would dispose of the bodies near the Green River. He would do them in clusters, so there'd be some bodies that were all dumped in the same place, and sometimes he'd pose them, and he would go back sometimes to for necrophilic activities. They actually enlisted Ted Bundy's help to figure out how to catch him. Ted Bundy actually told them that likely he would go back to his victims, to the corpse, and visit him, and he was right about that. Ridgway was suspected in 1984. He passed a polygraph, and then again... He was suspected in 1987 when they got his DNA, but then they let him go because they didn't really have anything to tie him. Well, in 2001, they ran the DNA again, and it matched. He had an IQ of 82, which is considered low, which it's very interesting that he had a low IQ, but he was able to get away for so long. And it's just he had this kind of other... He didn't necessarily have an, an intelligence intellectually, I guess, but he had an inherent way of reading people. And obviously he was just, he was good at keeping on the down low. He did end up getting life. He's known as the Green River Killer. He got away so long because the choice of his victim, the good reputation, the different counties, and the confusing with other evidence, those all led to him being able to be free for so long. Next up we have Serhi Takach. From 1984 to 2005, which is a 21-year time span, he's Ukrainian. He had 37 victims, though he claimed he had over 100. His victims were women and girls from ages 8 to 18. He raped and suffocated them, and after they were dead, he performed sex acts on their bodies. He was a police criminal investigator, so he would use his position to throw his cops off his scent. He was caught by being recognized at one of his victims' funerals. So there you go. The uh, impulse for some serial killers to return to either go to the scene of the crime again or impose themselves on investigations or visit their victims' funerals. <laughs> that bit him in the ass. He wound up dying of a heart attack in 2018. How he got away for so long is that he was a criminal investigator. <laughs> there really wasn't a whole lot of information that I could find about him. The last serial killer I'm going to discuss in this episode is Yvonne Keller, 1989 to 2006, 17-year time span. He was French. He was indicted for five people, 23 possible victims. I don't know. Then it said 40 were confirmed, and he claimed 150. So <laughs> five to 150. I don't know. He killed elderly people in France, Switzerland, and Germany. He would steal their valuables and sell their stuff. He would suffocate them in bed with a pillow then make the bed up so it looked like a natural death. He was arrested for robbery. He had been a landscape gardener. 
when he was in prison, he committed suicide with his shoelaces. He was known as the pillow killer. How did he get away for so long? Well, he did it in three different countries, and then he made the deaths look natural. Now we're going to go through and we'll do some comparisons real fast. I was curious to see, out of these time periods, who was active at the same time. Perez and Borogerdi were active at the same time, and then Borogerdi ended up being active at the same time as Takasiak. Well, then a little bit of time passed. Engelman was busy <laughs> at the same time period as Kroll, Philho, Little, Raider, Yates, and Novosoyalov. Kroll was active during Engelman, Philho, Little, Raider, and Yates, but not Novosoyalov. <laughs> Philho was active during Engelman, Kroll, Little, Raider, Yates, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, Tkach, and Keller. <laughs> So that was a very busy time period for serial killers. Little was active during Engelman, Kroll, Philho, Raider, Yates, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, Tkach, and Keller. So those were basically, they were active with basically all the same people. Raider was active with all the same people as them. And Yates was also active during all the same time. So, so Philho, Little, Raider, and Yates were pretty much active while most of the others are active. So that's that's like 11 serial killers active in the same, same time span. Maybe in different countries, but that's still kind of creepy. Novosoyalov was active during Engelman, Philho, Raider, Yates, Ridgeway, Jack, and Keller. Ridgeway was active during Philho, Little, Raider, Yates, Novosoyalov, Tkach, and Keller. Tkach was active with Philho, Little, Raider, Yates, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, and Keller. Keller was active during Philho, Little, Little, Raider, Yates, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, and Tkach. So Ridgeway, Tkach, and Keller were not active during Engelman. So that's a lot of names. But the thing to take away from that is just it's interesting that there are time periods when at least two to 11 <laughs> serial killers were active at the same time in these time spans. Some similarities between them. We've got that killed sex workers... Perez, Little, Yates, and Ridgeway. People that mutilated were Perez, Borogerdi, and Kroll. Those either who buried people by the river or in the river are Perez and Ridgeway. Ones that offered treats to lure their victims, Borogerdi, Kroll, and Novosoyalov. Those who robbed, and whether they robbed their victims or they just robbed in general, they just like to rob. Tkasiak, Keller, Philho, and Little. People who shot all or some of their victims, Tkasiak, Yates, and Engelman. Those who got li a life sentence were Engelman, Kroll, Raider, Yates, and Ridgeway. IQs that were lower, Kroll at 76 and Ridgeway at 82. Those who strangled, suffocated, choked, that kind of thing. Kroll, Little, Raider, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, and Tkach. Necrophiles include Kroll, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, and Tkach. People who killed in several different places. Little, Novosoyalov, Ridgeway, and Keller. Those who wound up being caught by DNA were Little, Yates, and Ridgeway. Those who enjoyed masturbating on their victims, whether they were alive or dead. Little and Kroll, those that were known for being religious, Raider and Ridgeway. Pedophiles were Borogerde, Novosoyalov, and Tkach. Those who raped their victims, Borogerde, Novosoyalov, and Tkach. Those who enjoyed... Blows to the head for their victims were Engelman and Novosoyalov. 
Those who had some kind of government or official jobs were Yates, who was a prison guard, to catch, who was a criminal investigator, and Raider, who was a dog catcher and worked for ADT and that kind of thing. Those who were killing in the same area, the Russia and Ukraine area, Novosoyolov and Tkach. And in Washington, you have Ridgeway and Yates. So those are some of the comparisons that I noticed in these. It's difficult to determine who had the most kills or least kills or to do it by the order, by the number, because there are things like Keller killed between 5 and 40. We have Tkachiak between 6 and 22. Engelman killed 7. Kroll, 8 to 14. Raider killed 10. Yates, 15 to 18. Perez, 20. Novosoyolov, 22 to 28. Borogerdi, 31. To catch 37 to 100, Philho, 47, Ridgeway, well, Philho actually had more than 47. I wasn't sure the exact number. Ridgeway, 49 to 71, and Little, basically, like, maybe 60 to 93. If you go by the smallest number first, <laughs> that's that order. It's kind of hard to tell. It would have been nice to be able to say, well, this person killed the, the most and this person killed the least. I mean, we know Little killed the most. I didn't realize that so many serial killers got away for decades. Like, I figured that was a small number, but like I said, there are 26 that I just pulled off of a list of a lot. And I just chose ones that killed, like, I think like 15 years or more. So there are some that might have gotten away for a decade or, you know, like a decade and two years or something like that. So I tried to focus on ones that got over decades. There's a lot. I covered these 13. I'll cover 13 more in the next official Murder Lab Monday episode. And then maybe uh, later on we'll do some more. What I'll do is I'll go through, in the next episode, I'll go through the 13, and then I'll do like a quick summary that compares all 26 serial killers. And I'll try not to make it too dry and boring, but if you're interested to see like how many of them were, were into necrophilia or were pedophiles or were caught with DNA, that kind of thing. Like I think that's what's interesting is to see how many of them had similarities. I think that'll be a, an interesting exercise to see out of these 26 serial killers, how many of them had certain things in common. That is that. Thank you for everything. And I look forward to hopefully seeing your faces soon at events. And I can't wait to start pushing my merch and hanging out with everybody. Make sure you stay safe and tune in and share. And as always, thank you for entering the lab. If you enjoy the experience and experiments of Murder Lab, go to Facebook, Instagram, and MurderLabMedia.com for updates. Share with your friends, those you created in a lab or not, as long as they can subscribe and listen, we'll take it. Murder Lab is available on Google Play and iTunes. The RSS feed is on MurderLabMedia.com for you to plug into your podcast app. We can always use more lab rats. Well, thank you for calling in. And what is your name? Uh, Todd T. Fox. Is there, is there a specific place where I can go if I want to contact you? As a matter of fact, there is. T-O-D-D-TheFox.com. <laughs> well, that is fantastic. I will make sure to check that out, Mr. The Fox. Is there anything else you'd like to say before uh, you leave? 
Uh, I just want you all to have a killer show. Uh, we will. Oh, nice. We Thank will. Thank you.